The disciples, though, weren't sure what exactly had happened. If he was truly alive, what did it mean? John writes in the verses we saw there, that passage that was read was John chapter 20. John writes, For as yet they did not understand the Scriptures, that he must rise from the dead, and then the disciples went back to their homes. Initially, the resurrection didn't seem to make much difference in the disciples' lives. They didn't know what to think about it. They all just went back home. However, the days and weeks that followed Jesus' resurrection would bring it all into light. His prophecies about himself and his resurrection and what it all meant would soon be much, much clearer. Jesus had prophesied that a sign would be given to the people. He said it would be the sign of Jonah. You all remember Jonah, right? Jonah who disobeyed God and fleed. God told him to go to Nineveh, but he disobeyed, and instead he got on a ship heading in the opposite direction. So God sent a great storm, and then because of the storm, Jonah ended up saying, it's my fault, just throw me over. It's interesting, I studied that passage when I was in seminary, and, and one of the things I noticed was the men did not want to throw Jonah overboard. They said no, and they did everything in their power up until that point. They started throwing all the cargo over. They started doing everything. And then it was like, you're all that's left. So they threw Jonah over, and the storm quieted down. The Bible tells us that Jonah was swallowed by a large fish. And he was in the belly of that fish for, who knows, three days and three nights. Now you can imagine, after the third day and the third night, Jonah being spewed up on the shore. He'd been in the belly of a fish. He smelled really bad. The, the acid and stuff in the fish's stomach probably turned him bleached white. He looked like he would have been dead. And he shows up in Nineveh. There's probably been stories circulating about Jonah and the ship that almost got, got destroyed. But Jonah shows up in Nineveh and he preaches. Probably the shortest message in the Bible. If I preached it, we'd be done already. <laughs> Repent for the kingdom of, of God is at hand. That was his message. And he probably didn't shout it out. I imagine Jonah going into Nineveh and he was just downhearted, he did not want to be there, repent, for the kingdom of heaven is at hand, <laughs> repent, for the kingdom of heaven is at hand, repent, for the kingdom, this is how Jonah would have, would have talked, because he just did not want to be there, he did not want to see the people repent, well what happens, the king hears of this, the people hear of this, all of a sudden there's a revival, they repent of their sins. They turn their ways. And the Bible tells us that God relented of his disaster upon the city. The sign of Jonah being in the belly of the whale for three days and three nights, appearing like he had been dead. Here comes Jesus out of the grave. Here comes Jesus out of the tomb and begins to walk into Jerusalem. 
He begins to appear to his disciples. He begins to show them the scars in his hands. He'd risen from the dead. We're working through our series, Abiding in the Reality of the Gospel. This morning we're talking about the gospel offers life. So those early believers, the early disciples, the early apostles, the church as it's being formed in the beginning of the book of Acts, what implications are there for early believers or even for us 2,000 years later of what Jesus' resurrection means for us today? If you have your Bibles, open them to the book of Colossians. Book of Colossians chapter 2. We're going to start in verse 6, Colossians 2, verse 6. Paul's writing this to the Colossian church. He says, therefore, as you received Christ Jesus the Lord, so walk in him, rooted and built up in him and established in the faith just as you were taught, abounding in thanksgiving. See to it that no one takes you captive by philosophy and empty deceit according to human tradition, according to the elemental spirits of the world and not according to Christ. For in him, the whole fullness of deity dwells bodily. And you have been filled in him who is the head of all rule and authority. In him also you were circumcised with a circumcision made without hands by putting off the body of the flesh by the circumcision of Christ, having been buried with him in baptism in which you were also raised with him through faith in the powerful working of God who raised him from the dead. And you who were dead in your trespasses and the uncircumcision of your flesh, God made alive together with him, having forgiven us all our trespasses by canceling the record of debt that stood against us with its legal demands. This he set aside, nailing it to the cross. He disarmed the rulers and authorities and put them to open shame by triumphing over them. So what does Jesus' resurrection mean for us today? I think first it means we can learn the central truths of faith. We can learn the central truths of faith. Jesus' resurrection is a fulfillment of what God intended to do to provide salvation for all of mankind. Because of Jesus' death, burial, and resurrection, we're given the gift of the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit was given, Jesus said, in order that they could learn about what Jesus' teachings were. The Holy Spirit came to reveal and teach them what Jesus' words meant. It literally says that he he came so that they could remember his words. Why do we have Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, the Gospels, Why do they have so much red in them? Because the disciples were remembering Jesus' words, empowered by the Holy Spirit. Paul warns believers in this passage, Colossians chapter 2, to watch out for philosophy. He says, don't let... Don't be taken captive by philosophy and empty deceit according to human tradition, according to the elemental spirits of the world and not according to Christ. Verse 8. 
He encouraged them not to be lured away by false messages or false teachings or false teachers and instead keep their mind focused on the central truths of Jesus Christ. Keep their lives focused on Jesus. He gives three truths about Jesus in this passage. The first is the whole fullness of deity dwells in him. In bodily form, the whole fullness of the deity of God dwells in Jesus Christ. I wish I could explain that to you. It's hard to comprehend. The whole fullness of God dwells in Jesus Christ in bodily form. He is God in flesh, Emmanuel. Secondly, Paul tells us that we are filled in him. So we've been talking about abiding. We're on this journey this year to talk about what it means to abide in Christ. When we are in Christ, we are filled in Him. And finally, Paul says he's the head over all rule and authority. He rules over all and he's sovereign over all of creation. Paul essentially says you need to keep the main thing the main thing. You need to focus on Jesus Christ and the gospel message. Focus on him and have faith in him and the central truth. Don't steer away from it. Make the aim of your life match Jesus' aim. In Paul's final letter to Timothy... You think about final words, and if you're writing down final words, what you're going to say your last time, I remember when I was leaving my previous church, I wrestled over, what do I do for my last message to the teens? And you really take that seriously, what your final words are going to be. Paul is writing a message to his protege, Timothy, who's going to essentially lead things after Paul's gone. Paul's been in prison for quite some time now, and he writes this, 2 Timothy chapter 1. Follow the pattern of the sound words that you have heard from me in the faith and love that are in Christ Jesus. By the Holy Spirit who dwells within us, guard the good deposit entrusted to you. The good deposit of faith, of the gospel, of of the teaching of Paul, guard that. Follow the pattern of the sound words that you have been given. I brought some stuff with me here this morning. I was hiding it, that way nobody knew it was here. So, who knows what this is? Okay. Who knows what this is? Okay. Who knows what this is? Strawberry. Okay. An orange, a banana, and a strawberry. Well, what if I asked you what this is? Okay. It's an orange. What about this? A banana. Okay. What about this? Okay. One set of these was not real. One set of these was real. Okay? So maybe you couldn't see it from down there. But if I bring them closer, fake. You can see, you can tell the fake ones, right?
What about this? Money. Money. Real or fake? Fake. Fake, okay. <laughs> Looking hard, got to put my glasses on, got to see. Okay. Real. Fake. When you compare what's real to what's fake, you tell the difference pretty easily, can't you? When you look at a fake orange compared to a real orange, I can tell you this one's going to taste better. <laughs> when you compare a strawberry to a fake strawberry that I got in my girl's toys, there's a big difference, right? Listen to what I'm saying this morning. As a church, we need to be about guarding the good deposit entrusted to us because it's the truth. It is what's real. It is the gospel handed down. Why? Because there's a lot of lies out there. There's a lot of false teaching out there. There's a lot of philosophy. There's a lot of human tradition out there. First, we have to know God's word. We have to know what it says. And then secondly, as we're filtering things in through our ears and our mind and our eyes, we have to say, does this align with God's word? Is this true or not? When Eve was tempted in the garden, Satan said, did God really say, you must not eat of any of the fruit of the garden or you will surely die or touch it? He added those words, or touch it. He begins to twist God's word. And so it sounds like God's word, but you don't know if it's God's word unless you know God's word. So thankful for Bible memory. They're memorizing, learning God's word. They know what God's word says. So when they hear the lies, they can counter those lies. We need to guard the truths of God's word. Secondly, what does Jesus' resurrection mean for us today? It means we've been brought from death to life. Can I get an amen? amen? Amen. We've been brought from death to life. Paul gives this imagery of circumcision, and he's not talking about the physical act of circumcision here, but instead he's talking about a spiritual circumcision. It was brought about by Christ's death. It led to being able to to put off, Paul says, to put off the old self and put on the new self. To be able to cut ties with that old way of life. To be able to cut ties with the sinfulness that we have because of Adam and Eve. Paul would write to the Corinthian church in 2 Corinthians 5. He says, therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a... New, say new with me, new. He is a new creation. 
The old has passed away. The old has died. The old has had the ties cut with it, and you're not to live that way anymore. Behold, the new has come. You are a new creation. The old has passed away because it is to die. It is to be literally crucified with Christ. Bible tells us in Ephesians chapter 2, and you were dead in the trespasses and sins in which you once walked. Those who are walking around without Jesus Christ in their life, without faith in him, are dead. Walking around like a bunch of zombies. They don't know what life truly is is because they're dead in their trespasses and sins. Paul said, and God raised the Lord and will also raise us up by his power. God raised the Lord. God raised Jesus Christ. And he's going to raise us up too. And Jesus understood why he came. He knew from the beginning, John 10, 10, Jesus said, the thief, Satan, comes only to steal and kill and destroy. I came that they may have life and have it abundantly. They may have life abundantly. Abundant life. Not walking around like zombies, not knowing their purpose, not knowing why they're here, not knowing what's going on. Need to make money, need to buy stuff, need to make money, need to buy stuff, need to be happy, right? People without Jesus Christ, what is their purpose? What is their mission? The American dream? But through Jesus Christ, we're told we can have life and have it more abundantly. In Romans 10, 9, we're told, because if you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. How do you have life and have it more abundantly? Paul spells it out. If you really want to know the whole gospel, the whole, the whole pieces of doctrine, read the book of Romans. Paul wrote about faith and how we believe and where we came from. But he gets to Romans 10 and he says, if you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord, Jesus, you are Lord, and believe in your heart that God did what? Raised him from the dead, brought him out of the grave. That Jesus was who he said he was. That he was the son of God. In flesh, you will be saved. You will have salvation. See, salvation comes to those who have faith in who Jesus is. That he is living. First Peter 1 verse 3, Cindy read this earlier, says, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, according to his great mercy, 
He has caused us to be born again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. What are, we give, what are we given from that? An inheritance that is imperishable, undefiled, and unfading, kept in heaven for you. You don't have to worry about what's left from your heavenly Father. He's kept your inheritance. It's imperishable, it's undefiled, and it's unfading, and it's kept in heaven, waiting for you who by God's power are being guarded through faith for a salvation. He's talking about us. We're guarded through faith for salvation, ready to be revealed in the last time. We sang Living Hope a few minutes ago. How great the chasm that lay between us. We were dead in our trespasses, in our sins. How high the mountain I could not climb. In desperation, I turned to heaven and spoke your name, the name of Jesus Christ, into the night. Then through the darkness, your loving kindness tore through the shadows of my soul. The work is finished. It is done. It is completed. There's no mountain I need to climb. There's no chasm I need to breach. It is finished. Jesus' final words, it is finished. What is the it? God's salvation plan. God's promises to Abraham, to David, God's fulfillment of the Old Testament prophecies, it is finished. The end is written. Jesus Christ, my living hope. We do not serve a dead God. We serve a risen Savior. I liked what Cindy said. It's party time. We're to celebrate the fact that we serve a risen Savior. Cindy said, what are we going to do this morning? I said, well, we should have streamers for all from, from the thing. We should have a little party in here. We serve a risen Savior. The Bible tells us that when one person... One person believes in faith in Jesus Christ. They turn their life. What happens in heaven? Angels rejoice. How many angels are in heaven? A lot. I don't know. Jesus was born. Remember, there were angels that were all over the place, and they were saying glory to God in the highest. There's a lot. The angels rejoice. You ever been somewhere, and it's loud, and you can just feel you can feel the floor shaking. You've been to a concert or something. You just feel it. Somebody gets saved. It's not just a loudness. They feel the celebration. Because one person, one person believed in Jesus Christ, had faith in him. 
What does it mean for us today, Jesus' resurrection? It means all rule and authority is given to Christ. All rule and authority is given to Christ. We know who's in control. After Jesus' resurrection, he appeared to his disciples many times, and one of the times he appeared to them, and he said these words. And Jesus came and said to them, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. All. Not most, not some. All authority in heaven and earth has been given to Jesus Christ. Jesus rules and reigns over all, and the Bible tells us there's coming a day when he's going to use that authority to do away with death permanently. 1 Corinthians 15, For he must reign until he has put all his enemies under his feet. The last enemy to be destroyed is death, physical death. I hate death. It's horrible. Mourning, grieving, it wasn't the way we were intended. We weren't supposed to have to do that. But guess what? Jesus is going to do away with it. It's going to be gone forever. The Bible tells us there's not going to be any more sadness, tears, crying, or pain. The biggest threat to us will be completely destroyed. John, who wrote the book of John, also wrote the book of Revelation. We saw John who went running to the tomb of Jesus this morning. I, I like the way John puts things. He, he puts things in a little bit of humor. He, he always said the disciple who Jesus loved, well, he's writing about himself. And he says that they both ran, but the disciple who Jesus loved beat Peter. It was a little foot race. And he's just writing there, by the way, I'm faster than Peter. I can beat him if we're to out-out sprint. So John gets to the tomb. He sees that it's empty, and Peter comes and looks inside. John, who was in Jesus' inner circle, Peter, James, and John, these three disciples who Jesus was more intimate with, had these more intimate conversations with, John was a friend, best friends with Jesus. And yet in the book of Revelation, his friend Jesus appears to him. And his response in Revelation chapter 1, when I saw him, I just fell at his feet as though I was dead. But he laid his right hand on me saying, fear not. I am the first and the last and the living one. I died and behold, I am alive forevermore and I have the keys of death in Hades. Jesus Christ is conquered over death and hell. Some of you have probably seen carts like these in stores. The kids can sit up front. It's fun for them. You can go shopping and kids go up front and they can steer. Well, eventually, at some point, the kids realize they're not actually steering. 
When they get old enough, they're sitting up front and they go, ooh, I see toys over there. So they're like spinning the wheel as hard as they can and they're not going that way. I want to go over there. They want control. Sometimes that's how it feels in life as well. You want to steer your life in a certain direction and you can see it. You say, I want to go there. And you're steering, trying to get the wheel to go in that direction and the cart's going this way. Why is that? We sure like to think we have a lot of control, don't we? In the last year, we learned how much control we really have. We don't have as much control as we think we have. But guess who is in control? Who's really pushing the cart? The one who really pushes the cart loves you. He knows the best places for you to go. He knows the best way for you to get there, even though it doesn't feel like it sometimes. God, why do I have to go through this right now? God, why do I need to learn about patience? God, why do I need to suffer? Why do I need to get sick? Jesus has been given complete control. That means we don't have to fear. We don't have to fret. We don't have to worry. We know who is truly in control. It's not our government. It's not our leaders or even the world leaders. It's not the court systems. It's not people who have lots of money or power. It's Jesus Christ who's been given all rule and authority. Jesus has been given complete, complete control, control over all. So this morning in closing, Jesus' resurrection empowers Christians to walk in life. And I'm not talking about life future, I'm talking about life now. He empowers us to walk in life. Eternal life is to be lived out now. We can keep our eyes focused on the truths of the gospel. We can rest in assurance of the promise of the living, the living life eternally with Christ, and we can trust in His authority to rule and reign over our lives. We can live in our true life, our eternal life. Now, would you pray with me? God, Your resurrection did so much for us. Things that we can't even comprehend. God, we know, we know that we are sinners. And we thank you for your life death, burial, and resurrection. Father, may we 
worship you. May we honor you. May we stand firm on the truths of the gospel, of your scriptures. May we be able to rest assured in our eternal life, the hope, because you are our living hope. Live our lives in such a way that we are pleasing you. God, that we can trust in your authority and rule Even when things feel like there's chaos, we know that you are in control. You have a purpose and a plan. You have a design and we know the ending. We know the ending, that you will return. Father, I pray... For those who don't believe, God, those in our community, in our neighborhoods, in our family, in our friends, God, we pray that you would implant the seed of the gospel in their lives. Maybe it's through us. God, but plant the seed of the gospel and that it would begin to form. And that we'd be able to speak more and more truth into their lives in order that they would have faith and believe in who you are. Believe in your resurrection. Boldly proclaim that you are Lord. God, help us as a church to focus on your gospel truths. Help us to live out that mission of proclaiming and making disciples of all nations, of all peoples, and all places. Pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.